1: Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. My name is Alan and with me is Chris. Hello, listeners. And we are here to talk about some movies, talk about some films. Uh, here, as part of the Foot Candle Film Society, which is our little merry band of filmgoers here in Western North Carolina. Chris and I started the Film Society about seven years ago. Is that about right? Yes. 2008? Yes. Eight ish, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And uh, we've been doing this podcast for a little while, too, talking about films that we review on the side, but also films that we've brought to our film society and, and other things we talk about there. So for today's episode, we're going to be reviewing a film that we just had a screening of last night. It's the German film Phoenix, starring uh, Nina Haas, directed by Christian Petzold, and we'll talk about that film in a moment. Followed by, we're going to do a little something a little interesting, that we're going to do a wrap-up of our Foot Candle Film Festival, the very first one we ever held. We had 25 films total shown over a long weekend. Uh, But we're actually going to review two of the films because they are two films that you can actually find online or get available to you that we want to make sure you know about and hear our thoughts on. Then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the festival in general, some other kind of random notes on those. We'll hit another news item or two I've got to share. And then we'll wrap up the show with our recommendation of a film that each of us want to recommend. We think you can find online and may uh, may find worth your time to check out. Chris, sound good to you? Sounds like an awesome game We have the agenda lined up. I think we're all set to go. It's Friday afternoon. It's a perfect time to record. Let's jump right into it with our first review. Again, the film is called Phoenix.
0: They wanted to bring you because you're a Jew. And now the survivors coming back and Sir, sir, what the hell do you think you're doing? Johnny had you. I said to there's no back.
1: Auf Nelly.
0: Auf Nelly. Prost.
1: Chris, it's always fun for me when we we stumble across a film that we don't know anything about. Correct. Uh, Really, honestly, in this situation, it truly was. Knew nothing about. I had heard the name mentioned in some circles as being I knew it was
2: a foreign film.
1: I knew it was a foreign (laughs) film. I had heard this film Phoenix mentioned on another film podcast as being, Hey, we saw this film and it was pretty good. So when we're looking for films to screen and bring to our audience, you know, sometimes there's these months where it's a little tough to find a really good fit. Sure. So here we are looking at our film selections and we've got a German film from just the last year directed by Christian Petzold, who I did a little research. He's done, I think, five films in Germany and he's known as a very, very good, successful kind of contemporary filmmaker in Germany right now. And we've got uh, Nina Haas and Roland Zerfeld starring in, in the two lead roles. We've got a film, the, the synopsis I thought was really interesting, I think, when we, when we came across this. A disfigured concentration camp survivor, played by Miss Haas, who's unrecognizable after facial reconstruction surgery, searches Berlin after post-war, after World War II, for her husband. Uh, who she th- is coming into some understanding that maybe had something to do with her getting turned into the Nazis. So right away, that little premise, you know, to know that it's got a little bit of a Hitchcock-feeling synopsis to it, it's, you know, an interesting time period that's not normally covered by films a lot, the period after World War II in Berlin, you know, it sounded like a really interesting film. So my question to you is very simple. Did we make a good choice in bringing Phoenix to our audience here in western North Carolina over the last two nights?
2: I, I think not only did we make a good choice, but I'm really hoping that just like when we brought Ida Mm -hmm. Um, two years ago maybe
1: or last year or last
2: year okay we brought that and then it actually won for best picture for best foreign film I'm hoping that this may actually because it's 2014 2014 but it was released in the states in 2015 so I'm, I'm hoping that this may actually get a Get to the down and saying no. Well, no.
1: No, I'm not saying, I'm not disagreeing with you that it shouldn't, shouldn't be able to be a win. Unfortunately, the, nomin- the selections that each country is submitting for the Oscars just came out yesterday. And this wasn't one Germany. This for was not the one Germany's? from Germany. No. Oh. So any chances of this being in that slate of final uh, foreign films is already off the list. We'll, we'll just Sorry have to, to talk it you. up
2: enough so that people want to see it anyway. Okay.
1: So with this film, Phoenix, so yeah. uh, it's a two character for the most part. Driven drama. Right. There's a lot of layers upon layers of what these interactions and this relationship are between uh, the main person we're following, uh, Nellie, and her husband, Johnny. Johnny. And again, it's a lot of twists and turns. We're not going to kind of talk about where things go with it. But, of course, you do have a a situation where mistaken identities, uh, assumed identities – Uh, facial reconstruction all couched in this interesting post-war drama period. Tell me the things that work for you really well. Here's the thing.
2: Bridge of Spies, Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg's movie written by the Coen brothers. Yes. Is coming out soon. Yep. I could not be less interested to see that movie. Really? Um, Spielberg, you know, competent director, Coen's like them too. I'm kind of done with World War II. Okay. Um, I realized, you know, it it was a very big period in history. Sure. And even though this one's set right after the war still, it's just kind of like, I feel like I've been there, done that with, I don't, I don't feel like there's anything they can teach me, you know, Mm -hmm. about that, even though I'm sure there is lots, but I just, I don't know, because a movie is such a tight time constraint, like, I don't know. I feel like all the storylines are kind of played out. Right. So when I heard about the film and like, you know, with the description you just gave, I'm like, Okay that sounds interesting and that's what really struck me and surprised me about this film is like it was a film set in that time period that was completely unique to me mm-hmm. um it was like as if hitchcock was making this movie because it was very you know it was a thriller it was suspenseful and yes it had elements of you know they would show berlin all bombed out and you would kind of get a sense of okay yes that really this is what it looked like after the war and how it was tough for the people to survive and for the Jews to come back into Berlin, and how they felt you know, so you got all this sense of history, but yet it didn't it didn 't feel so familiar and i right. I really appreciated that, and you know was was surprised by that okay. um, and then you know I will say you know it 's ninety eight minutes mm-hmm. so it 's you know a kind of a tight movie if
1: they, if they chris Fry approved chris length Fry of a movie, movie.
2: Yep. Um kind of surprising too, whenever you think of. World War II movies, a lot of times you think of, or even post-war, but you think of like flashbacks and a lot of action sequences or a lot of fast paced This movie is not. Mm,
1: very slow. It is it is slow. But I think... And even the word thriller is kind of a really, really... It's a misnomer. It's a misnomer. Yeah. It's There are some moments where tension is there and it's built up and you don't know where things are going to go. Right. But it really is just a very, it's a more... It's a very unique drama is the way I would kind of couch it. It's a very unique relationship drama that explores a lot of this idea of feelings for one another and how those feelings can, how those feelings can be felt for someone, even despite knowing things that maybe should not have you feel that way and how powerful those emotions can be. But then when presented with certain truths, how it also changes perceptions too. So it's and
2: learning about, you know, elements of the past and how to move on and how to try to you know try to separate yourself from events that have happened in your past and move on and how tough and difficult that could be and yeah choices that were made i will say as far as the acting too Mm -hmm. what did you think of the you've mentioned the two main actors nina haas and ronald zerfeld yeah okay and then also there's another Nina mm-hmm. um, that may have been a requirement in the casting
1: to have your first name. Nina, Nina. Kunzendorf. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And she Lena plays Winter. the friend
2: mm-hmm. of Nellie. Yes. What did you, what did you think of the acting?
1: Uh, I thought the acting was good. Um, it did not blow me away. I didn't come. Really? Away, no, it didn't come. I didn't come away saying, "Oh my gosh, these are just amazing actors." I hmm. uh, I think the story gave them a lot more of the tools to work with as yeah, actors. Okay, right. I will say, uh, Nina Haas. 90% of her acting was her eyes. I mean, okay. it was really where she did not have much dialogue in the film. She was True. a fairly soft-spoken, very, very quiet person for most of the film. Her, her action, her acting came in her eyes. Her eyes told most everything she was feeling and going through at the moment. So I found myself just really watching her eyes in almost every scene. Okay, um, I thought Ronald Zerfeld as Johnny probably he was the one I was the most impressed with. Cause I thought he just really played a really strong role. And yeah, he's having to play a role where he believes one thing about this woman. There may be some hints to him or some feelings un- underneath that. Maybe he knows something else about her, but he's not quite sure how to parse those feelings out. Sure. So he's very focused on this one perception, but yet there's this other perception under the surface. And then, and we're not going to spoil it, but I think the end scene, the end three, four minutes of the film it's his, again, where, where Nina's acting with her eyes, Ronald's acting with his face, his whole mm-hmm. face, and their interaction without saying a word to one another. It was just all done through a song. That It won me over on both performances, but I do feel like they were given this this storyline where they had to use other tools of their acting repertoire that maybe they're not always used to using as sure. much. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I agree with you that I thought the film had a really strong beginning. Mm-hmm. Kind of you see you see uh, Nellie getting out of a concentration camp and you see that she's has bandages all over her face and it was very dramatic, you know, beginning. Yes. And then the film really slows down. Yeah. And then, and that final 20 minutes things ramp up. And that last scene is one of the better last scenes. I think I can, I mean, I'd really have to go back and like analyze some films to come mm. up with a better last scene. Now you're um, right. Cinematography wise. And also just, the sequence of events that's happening is just really good. So much so that um, at our screening, people clapped immediately after it cut to black.
1: Yep. Well, so, it, it's important. I was going to play this up as really my, my, my biggest strength of the film is the story itself. It does take a little, I, to me, it's a little suspension of disbelief to really make the storyline work. Sure. There's a lot of ways you could really pick it apart. And it just probably would not really work if it was a real story. However, you know, you, it's enough to carry you along. It's enough to get what the movie's trying to do across. But I think any movie that sticks an ending, when they get that ending <laughs> yeah. just right, it makes up for so much of what you went through in the last 90 minutes. Sure. This film did it. I mean, right. really, it was that last ending, that last three, three, four minutes. Perfect.
2: It's the last Absolutely impression perfect. you're left with. Yeah. And I was the same way. It Immediately, whatever star ranking I was going to give it, you know, it got an extra star for the ending.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, they ended that. it at the right moment. Yep, they didn't feel the need to extend beyond the story like some films would choose to do. It just they knew exactly the moment to end the film. It ended and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I uh, I like the film. Um, I love the ending. <laughs> I like the rest of the film. Sure. Um, it is. There are some moments that even and this has nothing to do with it being a foreign language or subtitled or anything. It's truly there were some moments that. And I don't know how intentional it was where you're left wondering how certain things happen and how certain events transpired because they didn't really lay it out for you. No, they didn't they really didn't. make it a very simple case to understand. It can be a little frustrating to kind of go through the film and still not quite know, OK, well, did these people know this or how did this happen timing wise? And what does this mean? Why didn't Johnny figure these things out sooner? Because everything was right in front of them. There's a lot of things that they gloss over. Sure. To get to that end point. I'm okay with that. You know, I would, I've liked a little more detail, a little more understanding in some places. Yes. Did I have to have it to enjoy the film? No. Um, when I, so it's one of those things where I, I, could have seen more done with the film and there's some things I would have liked for them to see them do differently with the storyline. But in the end it was a good solid film. And I think a good 98 minutes of a film story, it did leave me with more questions, but I still had great enjoyment of the film. And definitely that ending did so much to just really bring it together.
2: Yeah, I'm. I I was curious about some things that were kind of little plot threads that were left dangling. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the the performances you mentioned the two leads, but we mentioned kind of in passing the other, Nina Kunzendorf, who plays Lena, her Mm -hmm. friend. I really liked her performance Mm -hmm. and was. I thought she was just a real presence, you know, Um, and I was sad to see when she kind of was lost from the yes, film. Right. Um, but, you know, while she was there, I really thought, and I would have maybe enjoyed a little bit more background of her, a little bit more of her in the story, but um, you know, there's only so much you can do at ninety eight sure. minutes.
1: So. I thought it was a really good movie. It's just, it was, it's always nice for me. And I think you feel the same way. We talked about this on the show before when we have a film, that's not a sequel. True. That's not a big blockbuster. That's not you know, taking a remake of something. Right. That's an original idea. that's, shown in a very uh, nice style filmmaking with some good solid acting behind it, and you stick the ending. It's like, great. I mean, that's, that, that's so rare to, us to see. So automatically, I'm going to give this a very a high recommendation just because they brought it all together and it worked. So.
2: Two Two other quick notes I'll say about it that I didn't feel like it was carried throughout the film. The last scene has some, and then the opening shots and shots of her walking on some streets at night had some really cool camera shots and cinematography. Um, and I really wish through some of the slower parts of the film, there would have been a little bit more you could do, but I guess mm-hmm. when people are talking, you can't really do, can't yeah. really make that that interesting. But specifically some of the cinematography, when she's walking along a street at night at one point by herself, and you see some shadows on a wall, and it's very like German expressionism where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the the shadows almost seem like monsters or goblins. And then what it ends up being is some American soldiers that are just yeah. behind her and they pass her. So, you know, just some little attention to detail and kind of using shadows and stuff like that. Like, you know, it, you can tell this guy really cared about making the film and was really trying to add a lot to the frame rather than just having the story. You know, it's you know through the lighting and through some of the mm. effects that he was going for, um, which brings to mind the second note I was going to say real quick. The sound design I thought was really interesting as far as they're just sounds that are kind of heightened and you're not really sure why. And I think it's just to create tension and kind of put you, you know, mm-hmm. ill at ease. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where Lena and uh, Nellie still has her face bandaged and she's talking to her in her hospital bed and she's peeling a pear.
1: Yeah. I remember and that. You
2: hear all the, like the knife cutting the peel away and it's just very, I don't know, present. You're very like, unnerving really as well strange. too. Yeah. yeah. And you don't know if it's trying to comment on, Lena's mental state or maybe some anger that she's internalizing, or you're just not really sure. And there are some other instances of that in the film that was just.
1: Well, b- bird chirping inside Johnny's Johnny's apartment or a place where he lives. Right. You constantly were hearing the birds chirping. You heard different birds chirping in a, a different kind of emotion, you know, when they're outside the rustling of leaves when they're outside talking is very probably just, you notice it right away. It's like, wow, I'm really hearing all those leaves rustle behind me. Right. Train noises you Trains, know, in the background. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of this background noise that's heightened almost um, to the point where you notice it more than you would in another film. And I think it was very intentional to do that. Sure, But it did make it for a little bit more unique uh, experience than it could have been otherwise.
2: Yeah, because normally when I think about seeing a period film, I don't really think about like, sound design in that way. Yeah. Like, you know, I think about that being in action movies or, you know, other, like, science fiction movies where they have cool effects and stuff. But I don't know. I wouldn't have thought about it in that way. So that was kind of an interesting thing that I also appreciated about the movie.
1: Well, Phoenix, we're both recommending. I think it was a good find and a good surprise. And, uh, you know, it's it's obviously... If it's in theaters right now, it's very, very limited, very small scope, but I would imagine it would should be online pretty soon, if not already by now, available to see. But we do think if uh sounds like a cup of tea, I think you'd enjoy it quite a bit. It was a really good surprising film. So great. Uh, all right, we're going to move on to kind of a little bit of a different situation, Chris, with our reviews, and that you know we actually have two review two films we're going to review, but a, an interesting lens around these two films. Um, As many of you have heard us talk about for probably the last couple months on this show, uh, we did have the very first ever Foot Candle Film Festival that was held the last weekend of September 2015, September 25th through the 27th. We showed 25 films. There was uh, 11 feature length films and 14 short films over a 72 hour period.
2: It's a lot of movies.
1: a lot of movies. And uh, we had a great time. So just right off the bat, any of you listeners that are Film Society members or just joined us for the festival that weekend, thank you so much. We had great turnout. We had great response. Everybody had a really good time with the festival in general. There were two films that we showed during the festival that are actually ones that, as of right now, you can actually see online. Uh, One of them, as I know, is on uh, Netflix, I believe, and also iTunes. No, iTunes. iTunes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, That's the film Wildlike we'll talk about here in a second. Another film called Listening that is also available through iTunes now. So both of these are ones you can check out. And those were probably our two bigger films, I guess you could say, as far as ones that had a little more prominent release schedule um, being on these two platforms. So we're going to take a few minutes and talk to you a little bit about these two films. And then when we get to our news, we'll talk about the festival kind of in general and kind of general perceptions and other notes to make uh, to make you aware of so first let's talk about this film Wildlike, uh, frank hall green the director and the writer starring mr bruce greenwood who you may recognize from many other films uh the film is Wildlike.
2: welcome to alaska oh wolf, my going away? Well,
1: how long am i up here for i need some time i just want
0: to be strong now that's just the two of us okay good night
1: I can't
2: believe how
0: much you've grown up. Look at you. I imagine all the guys would be chasing you.
2: It's Mackenzie. I'm calling for my mom. She
0: checked herself out. Have you got a uh, fair
2: schedule I can look at? 11 a.m. to
0: Seattle. Is that where you're from? That's where I live I'm going to hike through the park for a few days. Whatever you do, don't run. Chris
1: Wildlike was kind of our Saturday night film, you know, the, the bigger feature film that night. And it actually did end up winning. I guess we should go ahead and say... From an award standpoint, it did win our best narrative feature-length film for the festival as well. Uh, Frank Hall Green, the director and writer, joined us via a video conference, so we at least got to see him a little bit there during the festival weekend. But here we have a film. Uh, Bruce Greenwood was the star of the film. Uh, The synopsis of it is, after conditions in her new home become unbearable, a teenage girl runs away and becomes friends with an older man who is getting ready to take a hike through the Alaskan wilderness. Chris... I have to confess, I saw 24 of the 25 films that we showed that weekend. i <laughs> the only one I did not see. Okay. I had to get called away for some other festival related operational issues during the seven o'clock screening. So Chris, can you tell me a little bit about your take on the film wildlife? I know I got the take from most of our audience. And of course, our judges thought it was the best feature length film we showed that weekend. Sure. Um, your take on it uh, was it warranted of our award for the weekend, or did you have some other notes or thoughts on on the, no, on the quality of the film? I
2: didn't, no, it was it was great, and I think the major actor that we have not mentioned is Alaska. Ah, um, okay, Ala- the cinematography and just the shots in this movie of you know Alaskan wilderness it's it's pretty, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was so nice to be able to see it at the festival on a big screen because I had watched it prior, you know, on my laptop or whatever uh, to screen it. Um, and to be able to see it in a theater, it was just, it's really breathtaking. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was, that was the thing that really stood out with this movie was, was the, you know, Alaska wildlife. Um, then the, the two leads, Ella Purnell, who plays the girl, the the runaway girl Mm -hmm. McKenzie and then Bruce Greenwood, they, they both did a good job in it it's for something like this movie, you know, you explain the setup Mm -hmm. that you did in the description and it's a pretty, you know, you've seen stories like this before run away and she befriends somebody, but they did a really good job of not letting it become too pat and too Mm -hmm. camp. Mm -hmm. Um, she, I think she did a lot of kind of acting with her eyes as well. She kind of plays your typical in many ways, kind of removed kind of goth type, Mm -hmm. you know, teenager, but it didn't, didn't become too much of a stereotype though. That I, I thought it was, she did a good job and she didn't, you know, she, a lot of her acting is just with her face and with mm-hmm. her body language. Right. Um, so Bruce Greenwood then has to be more of the dominant acting force, the talking and the, you know, responding and trying to shepherd her through, mm-hmm. you know, what she's going through. And I, I thought he did a really good job. I, I, he's one of those people to me, Bruce, Bruce Greenwood is kind of, oh yeah, that guy, like yeah. I've seen him in a lot sure. of stuff, but I can never think of like, Oh, well, what's something really good that I've seen him in that where he was the star. And now finally I can say like, Oh yeah, he was the lead in wild. Like he mm-hmm. did a great job because I most recently I've just known him from the, uh, Star Trek reboots,
1: the, uh, the JJ Abrams yeah. version of the Star Trek. He yeah. played uh, kind of a head official in the Starfleet at that point. Well, Chris, I, you know, but I mean, aren't you forgetting kind of a key actor in the film? I mean, what about Joe Boxer?
2: And who's he's
1: that? The, he's the bear. Oh. Joe Boxer the bear. Joe
2: Boxer the bear. <laughs> there is a,
1: a grizzly bear in the film. They are plays. going through the ask wilderness. Yeah. So, so. Anyway, that's the part of the film I'm aware of because okay. I was editing clips from the film to show during our <laughs> awards festival and I used the clip of the bear confronting uh, McKenzie and Bruce Greenwood in the film. So that's all I got, I got to comment on. I'll say
2: too, um, there's where the film ends up. It's not overly syrupy, stereotypically yeah. sweet. And I like how they... I like how they ended stuff too. I did see the ending.
1: So yes, I can agree with you on the ending. I thought the ending was nice and not over the top and not way too sentimental.
2: And I think, um, it was, it's a perfect festival movie too, because it did have a big actor. It did have gorgeous cinematography and stuff like that. But yet you could tell it was an independent movie because it had kind of the independent feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, it was, not real heavy on like big acting scenes yeah. and stuff like that. He was very true to life, realistic feeling. Sure. Um, so I, I can see why the audience liked it. I can see why our judges liked it and gave it the, uh, best narrative feature. Awesome. So. Good.
1: So that's wild. and that is available on iTunes. Uh, I it was actually doing pretty well on iTunes last time I checked as well. So congratulations to, uh, Mr. Uh, Frank Hall for the success of the film and getting it out there for people to see. Now we also showed another film on Friday on Saturday night. I'm sorry. Uh, a science fiction film called Listening. And this was, we actually had the director and writer join us for the film, uh, Khalil Salins, who came in and talked about the film. We got to watch it with a pretty good crowd that night. And uh, this is a film that's about a team of genius, but also broke grad students who actually invent mind-reading technology, a way to connect two people where you can actually read the thoughts of the other uh, and see what they're thinking. Uh, But of course, like any good sci-fi film, you develop a kind of technology like that there's always the dangers, the dead the bad side of it. And of course, you get some government involvement, and you get some other things uh, going on that make it a much more tense situation for the lead actors. Uh we had, you know, actors here, not not well known names, but Thomas Stropo played the lead David, and then we have Artie R as Ryan, and then also Amber Marie Bollinger as Jordan, really the three main characters we follow. The story's really about the two main guys right. and their relationship and their Opposing viewpoints of how this technology should be used or where it should go from here. But Chris, you know, you're a big sci-fi guy. I am too. I know you you're, you can be typically very critical about sci-fi as a genre in general. You know, knowing the film, knowing the the, the limited budget of this film, it was a very small, small produced film. How do you think it turned out with this?
2: I, I think it turned out well. And I think uh, the director mentioned afterwards, you know, he's obviously, I think it, you can tell from watching the movie, he's a big fan of movies mm-hmm. and he likes things like primer and, uh, you know, small independent films that are like science fiction. And I think his attention to detail and caring about certain things and like why certain things would happen, not just having them happen for no reason. Right. Um, I think you can tell that, you know, he was trying to put those attention to the details and I, I, I liked it. And, you know, listening, you know, it's the way, I don't know, it's, it was good that they set it up between two friends. And I guess that's kind of a storytelling device, but I I don't know. I I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. And, you know, in today's day and age, you know, with the internet and all this Mm. technology and there's all this new stuff coming out all the time, it does kind of make you wonder as Mm -hmm. other movies have done in the past, is there going to be a point where, you know, (laughs) there is no, like your thoughts are just out there. There is yeah. you know, now that, you know, people talk about Facebook and Twitter and like, you know, people don't realize how much information they're putting out about themselves. Well, what if, you know, there is no, you, know, you can't help, but have your information out there. How that's distressing a good point. could that yeah, that's be? That's a very
1: good point. So yeah, I, I, I like the film too. I mean, again, it was a, a lower budget science fiction film. I think I going in with that mindset, I knew that, yes, this was, you know, going to have some limitations to what they could do, but I was actually really impressed with it being a low-budget film, some of the things they were able to pull off, mm-hmm. there were some scenes where the actual connection between the two people actually happens, and you kind of get this very psychedelic effect with the people, with the two people, and reading each other's thoughts, which I thought was handled really, really well. Mm-hmm. I thought the acting was overall pretty good. I thought Ryan Cates, uh, the character of Ryan Cates played by R.D.R., was really good. He yeah. was a little bit more of the you know he's a little more more of the uh, a higher strung member of this the the team and you know, kind of a little more animated character and just a little more fun to watch so overall good you know plot wise i think it took a few stumbles late in the film some things that i was kind of questioning the, the motivation for the characters going to the point that they did towards the end and i felt like there was a little bit of a breakup of the two main characters that happened more out of convenience than it did out of real reasons sure and i think it's because they know he knew that they wanted to get to the end of the film to have this conflict. Go, right? And I just didn't buy the reason that they actually broke apart as partners. So that, I'd had, that, that hurt me for the latter half of the film because I just didn't buy their relationship dissolving in the manner it did. Right. But overall, I did like the ending. I thought the ending, again, much like Phoenix, it ended where it could have kept on dragging on. It could have gone for some epilogues and all this other stuff. And it didn't. It gave us a little bit of a mystery at the very end. The last shot kind of gave you the answer to the mystery and then it goes to black and I like that right. so it was a daring way to end a, end a film like that sure. so overall yes I enjoyed it I thought it was good I, I wish the story in that two-thirds mark had been a little cleaner and made a little more sense but otherwise I thought it was a fine movie and definitely for the production involved to do this, I think it turned out really well and it looks a lot higher value than probably what was actually put into it.
2: Yeah. It has tons of production value. And I think, you know, you were talking about some of the effects and stuff they did with some of the cinematography or just the camera work. I'll add to that. um, They were actually apparently able to go on location to like a Buddhist monastery in Cambodia. Oh yeah. And some of that stuff you're like, Whoa, you don't don't expect to see that in this like little independent film, like shots of like actual tigers and like jungle. And then like, you know, showing you know, a Buddhist monastery and all this kind of stuff. It it yeah, it's pretty impressive and yeah. it looks great. You know, so. it does.
1: And he did some interesting things with the color scheme in the film. And we actually mm-hmm. talked with him a little bit about the film afterwards with that. But the color scheme. There are several scenes that many many locations where everything's draped in kind of this green tint to the film. Like in their lab or whatever. Right. right, and then they've got another lab that's a little more sterile late in the film that's more white, mm-hmm. and then they've got this red glow towards these not to give away anything with the film, but there's a certain type of role that some people are playing late in the film. And every time you see them, it's just d- drenched in this red uh, fluorescent light. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it was very intentional. You could tell to give us the different moods based on the different scenes and locations. And I thought it was nice. Gave it an interesting look. Gave it something more interesting to look at than a typical film may.
2: I agreed. And I, what's exciting to me is that there's a director out there, you know. I'm I'm always excited when I find a new director, mm-hmm. um, and especially in this case, I'm excited because it's a new director who's done a science fiction movie, <laughs> right? Um, and so I'm excited to see where he's going to go from here. Um, I did I did ask him a little bit uh, because he was at the festival. I kind of asked him, so what you know, what are you planning next? Are you going to do something science fiction? And he actually, unfortunately to me, he said no. He said you know he likes it and he may do some more in the future, but his next Something a script he was working on was going to kind of be kind of like a revisionist Western type mm-hmm. thing where he was going to flip that on its ear. And I was like, you know what? Having seen this, movie, out. I can't wait to see what you would do with that. So yeah. it's it's exciting. Good.
1: So that's the film listening. We're both saying that, you know, another good selection for our film festival. And We were really happy to have the director and writer with us for the weekend. And uh, I think it got a good response from the crowd. And it is worth checking out. If you like sci-fi films, knowing this one's a little smaller in scope, a little smaller in budget, but they do a lot with the production value of the film, uh, it's worth checking out. Absolutely. That's listening. And it also should be on iTunes, maybe Amazon, some of these other services, if I remember correctly. If it's not now, it will be, I'm sure, very soon. Chris, we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, it's all about film festival. We want to do a quick recap of kind of how the festival went, some of the highlights of the festival weekend. Then we got a couple quick news items to share and our recommendations of the month. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Candle Films.
2: Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at the Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.tv.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Alan and Chris with you talking about some movies. We finished our review of the German film Phoenix, as well as talking about two of the feature films from our Foot Candle Film Festival, Wildlike and Listening. Both available for you to check out online. Phoenix, I'm not quite sure of the status of online yet, but it can't be too far off from being available for online rental or purchase, I'm sure. Chris, as we talked about the Foot Candle Film Festival, and of course, you know we've been mentioning that on the show for quite a while now. We're really excited building up to it. 25 films uh, over the course of the weekend we had a great crowd i think we probably had over a thousand people during the course of the weekend coming out to check out to get tickets to the various films um it was a really solid weekend i do want to mention the winners we already talked about one of them but we did give out four awards during the festival weekend and i wanted to highlight those for everybody uh first off it was the uh feature-length narrative film that we just mentioned which was Wildlike. uh and uh, you know, again, we saw this showed that on Saturday night to a good sized crowd, and I think the crowd responded really well. It was we received a very high score towards our audience favorite award as well, but did not win that one. Uh, best feature length documentary film was Thomas Morgan's Storied Streets, a documentary about homelessness and uh, in America and some of the challenges that. Uh, different flavors of people that are homeless, which I thought was really a great aspect of that film. It wasn't just talking about, oh, homeless percentages, you know, numbers are so strong, big, we got to do something about it. It really spent time helping us see the different faces of homelessness mm-hmm. from somebody that you may see on a college campus and not realize that they're homeless to other people that you know do everything in their power to not look homeless to try to lead a normal life, but they just can't do it. That was a really good documentary. Um, and I think that's probably one of those films that a lot of our members have actually asked to see or have us bring back in the future, hopefully, or find a way to find it online because it did resonate with a lot of people. And I think that's why it got the Best Documentary Award for the weekend. Uh, and then we did our short films. You know, we did uh, 14 short films during Friday night, which is kind of a novel way to kick off the festival. And I think people really had a blast with it. Getting a big crowd of, you know, 250 plus people to watch all 14 of these short films during the course of the night. We broke them up into our, our our primary primetime batch and then our late night batch, which is a little more, a little more out there with some of the films, a little edgier, but fun. (laughs) We had a really good time in both screening groups from those 14. We actually had a best winner, uh, selected by the judges for the best short film. And that was the film Berlin Troika, which is a probably about what? 12 minutes long, 10 to 12 minutes long film. Mm -hmm. Um, taking place about uh, some negotiations between two uh, country leaders and the interpreter they had to use between them. Uh, Very clever film, very well-made film, and we got to to recognize the director and writer of that with his own uh, Foot Candle Award, and he also came via video conference to give us his thanks as well. So it was really really nice in all four situations with the awards there. Well, speaking of the fourth award, I haven't mentioned that one yet. So we actually had throughout the course of the entire festival We had an opportunity for all the people watching the films to vote on how they rated films. We took the average rating of all films. So it didn't matter if there was 20 people in the audience or 250 people. Take the average rating of each film that we got the ratings of sheets back from the the participants. And the winner of that became our audience favorite award. Uh, As I told the story at the Sunday night closing ceremony, (laughs) we had... Some it was an interesting little drama coming on Sunday afternoon. We finished the, the, the festival with our last screening, which was the documentary Enter the Fawn. And uh, we got all the votes in from that. And as we were calculating them, uh, there were two or three films that were all within a hundredth. That's a one hundredth. <laughs> that's a little decimal place, two places out from it, uh, away from each other on the rating. It was close. And there was there one that had came out just slightly on top. About that time, somebody ran down the hall to us and said, oh, I forgot to turn in our family's votes, and here's four more votes. So for four people that forgot to hand them in when they left. And as we recalculated that, it caused another film to just slightly edge out the one we had planned. (laughs) So it was really some last-minute tension and drama. But at the end of the day, the film that won Best Audience Favorite Award was the film Enter the Fawn. And Enter the Fawn... Uh, you know, did have some local connections to our area. Uh, uh, Greg Musgala was the subject of the documentary, uh, suffering through cerebral palsy most of his all of his life, but yet uh, the documentary was about his efforts to actually become a stage actor and most importantly a dancer, uh, even while facing this this uh, disease. And his choreographer, who is actually the, one of the co-directors of the film, basically working with him on some different techniques and ways to overcome this this disease in order to become an actor and a dancer on stage. Um, it was a really great screening because we had a full house and just a lot of good, both uh, Tamara Rogoff, who was the director and uh, Greg Mazzagala was that were there in person. So we had a really nice moment with talking with them. Q and a after the film was over and it did win the audience favorite award it for did. the weekend. So that was our four winners. Chris, knowing that those were the four, I mean, Any takeaways from the festival, some things that really struck you as just some great moments or some great reactions we got in general throughout the festival weekend?
2: I I was just impressed um, by how many great films we had. And just like, you know, with the Academy Awards, there's so many good films. Not everybody gets to take something home. And that's the sad thing is that not everybody got to take something home from the festival because there were a lot of good filmmakers that came and we only had four awards. Um, yeah. But I am happy with what won the awards. They're all good films. And there were a lot of quality films, too, that did not win an awards, but they were really worthwhile. And yeah. I think one of the things that struck me that was interesting, too, from the festival was I had no idea that the crowds would be as responsive as they were to the short films. Yeah, and so that was kind of a pleasant true. surprise. Something unique that we did was have it kind of opening night short film selections instead of doing, like, a big opening night film. We did this instead. And I, I really like that. I think it worked really well. And uh, I look forward to being able to hopefully do it again next year. Yeah, so. I,
1: I completely agree. I think starting out with the short films opening night, and we, give a, we gave a really good all, big audience to all the short films, which was great. And I think a lot of times short films at film festivals kind of get a little lost in the shuffle. Sure. They get thrown together in like kind of a batch of short films like we showed, but they're no, normally not featured as kickoff and the big lead event. It's normally something special you had to get a ticket for. And I know festivals we've been to, yeah, it's a nice little crowd watching the shorts, but it might be 30, 40, 50 people sure. at the most. But here we had 250 plus people watching all the short films. Mm-hmm. So it worked out really well. And I, do, I agree with you that I think the reaction to the short films in general, I think we, we built up a lot of uh, admiration for the, uh, sh- the form of short film, because I think a lot of times in our society and film going culture if a film's not 90 minutes or longer, we don't really register it as a film. But yet there's so many good short films being made. It was good to give some of that recognition to And them. I mean
2: something, too, that piggybacks on what you're saying. But some of those short films, you know, I think by not having – generally getting to see that kind of audience. When people do see short films, it's maybe they – rent them online or they just see, watch them online, but to be able to watch them with an audience and have the reactions that some of the films, um, got like one, one of the most interesting reactions that I saw happen was one to a short called Tom in America. Mm -hmm. And the tone of that starts one way and it's, you know, has some, you know, laughable moments, some funny things, but it takes a turn and the audience was, you know, and it gets really serious and Mm -hmm. the audience was, you know, laughing there in the beginning And then really thinking about it and clapping strongly. But you could tell they were on that journey. And so that was interesting and satisfying to see.
1: I will say probably my favorite surprise of the film, a moment that just really kind of struck me as I really did not expect it. Uh, Our 9 a.m. Saturday morning film, which is the one we probably expected to have the lowest turnout. It did have a relatively lower turnout than most of the other films, but it was better than I expected. It was the film Moose, and uh, by uh, dark, director John Helberg. and it was a short film, you know, really just sixty minutes long or forty minutes long, 40 actually minutes, forty right? minutes long. And uh, the crowd reaction to that film was really, really positive. Actually, that <laughs> one came really darn close to winning audience favorite, which is awesome. Which is awesome because it was a very quirky, odd crime slash. Uh, uh, kind of fish out of water situation. It just, it was a, it was a very unique film taking place almost exclusively in a convenience store that, uh, is being held up and the cops outside having their own little side, <laughs> side plots it going kind of on. Like if
2: Wes Anderson did a version of clerks where clerks was getting held up. at Yeah. <laughs>
1: or even if Wes Anderson did like a dog day afternoon or something yeah, like that, just a go. very yeah. kind of quirky odd, you know, thing, but done in 40 minutes. And it was a, just a fun film. We got so much good feedback from it. And again, for being that early in the morning and that quirky of film, it really got some great, great audience reaction responses. So, uh, overall, I think the festival was just, was a great experience. And I know we're talking about it as being two people that helped put it together, but really the judges, the volunteers, the screeners, the, everything we had involved, the planning committee just made that weekend really, really work well. So we had a good time. Uh, you know, if you go back on the foot candle film festival website and, you know, you can still see the films that we showed, encourage you i mean some of these are available you can find them online you can find them on youtube you can find them on vimeo you know not all of them some of them you'd have to hunt down a little more a little more but we do encourage you go check out some of these films see we'll see what's going on and uh we hope to see maybe many of you involved in the film festival next year because it will definitely be happening in 2016 all right, Chris. With that done, how about uh, can I hit you with a couple news items and just yes. see if we got some uh, some thoughts on some movie news going on? Absolutely. And this is actually something relatively recent, as in yesterday. Okay. Uh, news came out that uh, Disney was doing kind of their I've big. Heard of them. Yes, Disney. It's the Walt Disney Company. D i s n e y. They've dabbled in animation in the past and theme parks. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Ringing a bell.
2: They have orange juice, or they have a duck on orange juice.
1: Yes, they do. The okay. orange juice is really what they're known for. Okay. Yeah, I mean, That's all the other stuff is start. kind of secondary. It's All gotcha. orange juice.
2: Gotcha.
1: Um, so they had a one of their big uh, studio business events where they're talking about films coming up and being released and schedules. Okay. So here's the interesting thing. So Pixar is of course owned by Disney, and Pixar's known for having a really high quality slate of films for the most part, with very very few exceptions. He's looking at planes. Car, cars oh, cars! Well, planes was a Disney film. Pixar didn't touch planes, okay. but cars too. Cars, yes. Two. yes okay. And cars two. Oh dear <laughs> Lord. Yes. Well, here's where I'm both very, very excited and also somewhat disappointed with what I'm hearing. Hmm. So okay. right now the slate of Pixar films to be coming out over the next few years, we've got the good dinosaur coming out this, this winter, which has already got a trailer out. And that's going to be like a, an original film that they've done. Finding Dory. After that point, it, Kind of turns into sequel mania, which we knew. Finding Dory, was. we knew Finding Dory comes out in July. There's going to be a Cars three. Wow. There's going to be a Toy Story four. Oh. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: And then the one I'm excited about, Incredibles two. I'm okay. very happy about the Incredibles two. It will be Brad Bird. So yes, done. Sold, sold. Buy me a ticket now. Right. But to hear, you know that that's their announcements of films. That is Finding Dory, Cars three, Toy Story four. Toy Story three ended perfect. Why right. would you do a fourth one?
2: Yeah, And
1: then Cars 3, why would you do a Cars 3? <laughs> so, I don't know. It's, I guess the money just spoke, you know, and there was, they made enough money from Cars toys, but man, the, the Cars is still what anybody in the film community looks at Pixar and says, yeah, Cars was not really their So you're saying other than star. Good Dinosaur, it's all... They have not mentioned any other huh. Pixar original films.
2: Yeah, that's a little, that's disappointing.
1: And now Disney from their animated slate have not really introduced any names or talked about actual films they're doing. It's just everything's kind of couched in this idea of the fairy tales. This reimagining of fairy tales, which they've done with frozen. Maleficent. they did with Maleficent, they've done with um Um Tangled in a way with the whole sure. Rapunzel, both animated and live action. Right. Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. You know, they've done these kind of reimagining their, they're their doing a jungle book. Yes, they are doing a Jungle Book. So they're taking their old classics and doing new versions of them. Got you. Whether it's animated, kind of interesting takes on the film, or it's live-acted versions. So that's really all they've got. So everything is kind of this whole, let's just keep doing what we've been doing. Let's rehash some old ideas. Let's bring them back again. Put a fresh coat of paint on them. Hmm. I'm just a little worried about Pixar from hearing that. You know, It could be that The Good Dinosaur is the last original Pixar film we see in a while. Hmm. Very interesting.
2: Yeah, and I... I granted, I don't think I've seen a trailer for the good dinosaur, but just knowing what very little I know about it, I'm not really excited about it.
1: Well, it's one that if you recall, I think we may have even mentioned it in some news about a year ago or so. It had to go through some major redoing Ah. because they turned over some of the talent involved and they got new people involved to direct it. Hmm. So it's one of those that got down one path and they had to put the brakes on and say, "Oh, Okay. Pull it back. Let's go down another path.
2: So they're fantastic foring it.
1: Yeah. Maybe let's not go that (laughs) far. Um, so anyway, that was just—I just thought that was really interesting—that the whole Disney slate is pretty much made up right now of hmm. taking old ideas and just expanding on them. You Nothing really original. Do
2: you think Disney just got too much going on with the Marvel stuff and with the Star Wars stuff? Well,
1: that's that's one element to it. Is that if you think about it, if Star Wars is now going to be this annual event that right. they're going to have the the the, the new trilogy every few year, a couple of years and then in between you're going to have these little standalone movies right and that's all disney films sure then you've got the marvel films which are technically all disney films right maybe it was one of those matters of hey listen we don't want to crowd ourselves out of the stuff let's just go with what we know is going to sell really good with sequels and all that to supplement the star wars and marvel stuff we've got going on i don't know but it's you know it's a little dis- it's a little concerning
2: especially them coming off something, Pixar coming off something as strong as Inside Out. Yeah. And then now they're just lapping lapsing back into sequel territory. It's I know. kind of like, huh. A-, okay. a little
1: surprising. Speaking of the Marvel stuff on there, um, you know, Marvel's always been kind of announcing their big slate of films for several years out. The only thing they added to the slate uh, in this big uh, business session they had, they moved a few dates of a few films, nothing too dramatic. But they did announce that they're doing a sequel to Ant-Man. Hmm. That's called Ant-Man and the Wasp. Okay. So it's going to be the Wasp, who I guess we can say it now. teased at the end of the film, the character of the Wasp. Um, so yeah, they're going to make it kind of a combo team up movie, which I think is cool. I think it's cool. I, I thought Ant-Man was fun. I enjoyed you know,
2: it. They, at one point, I thought I had heard that they were, but then they didn't do it because they went ahead and did the Avengers 2, Electric Boogaloo, but they were <laughs> going to do Black Widow and a Hawkeye movie and yeah, then that got like they're scrapped. They're not doing those, yeah. Right. So like, yeah, I think a a duo movie as long as it's not Batman and Robin. Um,
1: yeah, that that's that's interesting. Well, if it's a fun movie, I mean, sure. It's going like, to it have a comic, more comedic style to it. So, <laughs> um, and then of course we got the Star Wars. But again, I'm sticking to my vow. We're not going to talk about Star Wars. I have not watched the Star Wars trailer again for months now. And I'm anytime I see something come up on the internet, I quickly turn away. I don't want to <laughs> see anything else. I don't want to know anything else.
2: I think that's a good plan. Yeah,
1: I think so too. Um, so really, that was kind of the news I just wanted to hit us with, is a little bit of some, some Disney news there, just because it's very recent stuff there. So, Chris, would be good to move into kind of our recommendations. Sure. Do you have a film you want to recommend that our listeners may want to check out or uh, they have an opportunity to see online or renting or anywhere else? I do.
2: Okay. Uh, mine is available on Netflix. I think it's also – you can pick it up on uh, iTunes, rent it on iTunes. But uh, we are in October, mm-hmm. so I'm going to recommend a – Horror, or I guess you could call it a thriller movie. It's definitely unsettling. Yeah, and the title is Creep.
1: Ah, okay, yes. Okay, it's the uh,
2: it's a small, very small uh, independent little movie. Mark Duplass uh, was one of the writers and the director. Patrick Bryce is also the other actor. There are only two actors. It's basically Mark Duplass and Patrick Bryce, and that's it. The story is uh, Patrick Bryce is playing a videographer. He answers a Craigslist ad for a one day job in a remote mountain town. So he goes there and he finds his client and he basically is just being paid to follow this guy around for the day Mm -hmm. to document some things that this guy wants documented. And it's unsettling Mm. and I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, It is. Yeah. I'll just kind of leave it at that. It's, (laughs) it's, it's good. And I, it's not fancy. It's not flashy, but to me, it's kind of a good example, also if you were talking about film festival and good ideas, but you know a small independent movie, only two actors, but it's the thing they had an idea, and they're like, okay, and they just write it and they act it and just nuance it just enough to make it nice and original it's eighty two minutes hmm. it's nice and short, very short but uh it's and the kind of the gotcha moment at the end is crazy um so You know, Halloween, looking for an original scary movie that you haven't seen yet, I I recommend Creep. Creep. Mm -hmm. And it came out in 2014, but then I think was majorly released in 2015. So it's kind of new.
1: I saw the movie poster for it. Okay. And, yeah, I don't know when I'll be getting to that one. (laughs) (laughs) The movie poster kind of creeped me out on its its own. Yeah.
2: And, yeah, watching it. It's perfect horror movie type stuff, like watching it in your house. Mm. You know, yeah, it's going to be kind of creepy. So.
1: Well, mine is not anywhere near as creepy, but um, yeah. I had a chance to catch up with a film that I'd only seen little parts of before. Never had a chance to watch the whole thing, and that's The Third Man. We had a chance to watch this film, Orson Welles. Uh, watched this film at a special screening this past weekend, 1949, uh, directed by Carol Reed. Yeah. And uh, Carol Reed, I think, also did Oliver, if I remember correctly, Okay. film, so uh, he's fairly well-known director did a lot of work back in the forties and fifties. Basically we have a, a plot of Joseph cotton, who is one of my favorite old actors. He was also in citizen Kane with, with Orson Wells. He He's played in strangers
2: uh, on a train. Too. I believe he
1: is too. And he played played, played uh, the Leland, I believe in citizen Kane, uh, Charles Foster Kane's best friend. And so Joseph cotton's our lead. He plays Holly Martins, who is a writer, a pulp fiction novelist, who travels to Vienna, post-war Vienna? So here we are, back to our post-war, after the World, uh, World War II, and uh, post-war Viennas kind of carved up in these different sectors based on the the Allies and kind of how they carved up the area sure. to control. And because of this shortage of supplies, there's a real big flourishing black market. You know? Well, basically, Holly Martins arrives. He's looking for Harry Lime, his friend, because Harry has promised him a job coming to Vienna. Gets there. Almost like right off the gates off the train, uh, he stumbles across a funeral. Harry, Harry Lime's dead. <laughs> so, oops, that sucks. So he's just traveled all the way to Vienna, and the guy who invited him there is no longer alive. So we follow uh, Holly as he's trying to make his way, figure out what to do, what's going on. But as he does, he starts exploring a little bit more of the situation of Harry Lime's death. Hmm. And there's a lot of question marks. Gotcha. There's a lot of inconsistencies there's possibly some ulterior motives for actually him being murdered as opposed to dying. Hmm. And then, um, we have interesting surprises and reveals later on as well. I will say, uh, Orson Welles, not in the film very much. And that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I'd forgotten that even though he's on the movie poster, he's listed as yeah, Cause Doctor, I would have thought he would have been. He's in the film maybe for 20 minutes. Wow. Um, plays a very pivotal role in the film for 20 minutes, but, um, uh, he, he, his, his role is, It's typical Orson, Orson Welles fashion. He shows up in a very dramatic fashion. He, his scenes are just dripping with just oozing with charisma and Mm -hmm. and dialogue. This is the young Orson Welles we're still talking about. And, uh, and then his exit is very glorious as well. (laughs) So it's a really, really good movie. And I'd really encourage everybody to check it out if you haven't never seen it before. Um, and it's one of those where it was kind of on the tail end of, Orson Welles being seen as a really, really strong actor at the time because, you know, he had he had Citizen Kane back in 41, I believe, okay. uh, Magnificent Ambersons. He did a couple other films as well known for. Uh, he got it to Touch of Evil, I think, in the 50s, maybe late okay. 50s. But this is one of those last films that he was just really known for before he got to Touch of Evil later on. After this point, he started to lose a little bit of his luster in Hollywood, unfortunately. But it was kind of nice to see him at the top of his game really just chewing up a scene. (laughs) There's a a, a long dialogue scene between he and Joseph Cotton. It takes place on a Ferris wheel. And it's kind of a motif that's copied so many times now in thrillers where I've seen even Mr. Robot, the TV show that I recommended a while back that people check out on the USA Network a very important scene early in that series takes place with the two characters on a Ferris wheel talking. And it's just that same idea. I think people find this idea of talking while riding on this Ferris wheel. Very hmm. just an interesting cinematic trope. So anyway, I really like the film a lot. Uh, the third man, uh, I'm remiss. I didn't watch it in its full entirety before now, but, it's uh, definitely one to check out.
2: And yeah, you have me interested. I'm hoping that it will make me think Orson Welles is as important as everybody else seems to think he is. Oh, Christopher. I know. Christopher. I know. Turn my credentials in. I am not lighting candles at the altar of Citizen Kane. but uh,
1: well, I still think Citizen Kane, I still say one of the best movies ever made. Not because of the film itself, but because the environment in which the film was made. And the technicality of the film that wasn't available at the time. So it's more of a technical feat for me. Okay. But I still love it. Acting, I still love <laughs> the story, I still sure. love it. Everything else production-wise, so... It's just that that the fact that it was made at all Hmm. and the made as technically skilled as it was is what makes it just kind of push up in that top echelon for me. So I really like Orson Welles. I love watching any scene with the old classic Orson Welles, the 40s and 50s Orson Welles. So this is this one definitely had it at least in 20 minutes of the film. So good. So that is two very different films. Creep (laughs) and the third man. Uh, One just from this past year. One from almost 60 some years ago. And uh, But both of them, that's the great thing about the internet. You that's can right. find them both Yay, and the go check them out whenever you want to. So we do recommend those two films for you. So, Chris, that's our episode today. The German film Phoenix, which we both gave some very high marks to and were really surprised with how much we enjoyed. Uh, our festival wrap-up, where we did a quick review of Wildlife and Listening, both of those good films with some good, strong asp- aspects to them. We encourage people to check out our festival wrap-up. We talked a little bit about the Foot Candle Film Festival, our very first one and how that went. And then our news items talking about Disney and Pixar and Marvel and some of their upcoming slate of films. Then you have the film creep and the film, the third man as recommendations. If Chris, people wanted to reach out to us and interact with us in any way, shape or form after this podcast is over, how do you recommend people do that?
2: Well, you can drop us an email at info at TV and just let us know comments on the show movies. You want us to review or, you know, basically just to say hello, you can do that. Alan and I are also both on Letterboxd, and that's a site where you can list movies that you're reviewing and watching and just kind of keep up with stuff there. Every once in a while, I write a short review. Alan sometimes writes yeah, reviews not so on there. <laughs> and <laughs> that, is, that is Letterboxd without the last E. So it's just B-O-X-D. Um, so that's that's a good site that we uh, – And then there's also just footcandle.org that
1: you can get information about our films. I'm much more of a visual rater, so I'll give gotcha. star ratings on all the films on Letterboxd. Fair but enough. Just I have a hard time sitting down to write you know between us talking about the films we do the the screenings where I lead the Q&A's afterwards most of the time it's like you know I'm going to let Chris and others who like to write about the films they can write I'm just going to give star ratings thumbs up whatever it may be and go enough. from there but Letterbox is a great site to kind of see what are we watching because you honestly could follow along and say what's, what's Alan watching this week and you you'll be able to see the films we put up on there so Great. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. This has been Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. We'll be getting together again soon for the next episode. And Until then, take care. See you in the ticket line.
0: Special thanks to Carpel Toller for the show theme music. For more about Carpel Taller, visit www.carpeltaller.com.